Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Thank you so much for giving to our Patreon. Without you, we're nothing. I am Ben, joined by Henry. Yeah. And, to- and today we are honored to have with us true crime author. She is fantastic. Candace Fox. Miss Candace Fox. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and, and very nervous. I was just listening to some of your episodes. I did the, the baby stomping 911 episode. Great. Oh, my great. God. That was from back. That's like from 10 years ago. I know. We were bad boys back then, but now we're, <laughs> we're amazing gentlemen. Speaking with Candace Fox. We've become tight 36-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, I'm almost 40. <laughs> uh, Candace's latest book, Gone by Midnight. Uh, that was released in 2019. Check that out. And she also doesn't just write books. She also sits down with some of the... Uh, Ooh, more criminally minded of our society, specifically Lawrence Bittaker. She sat down with the toolbox killer. So we'll talk about that because that must have been scary. So crazy. Can we just start there? Because I'd like to get in the middle of it, because in the meat of it, because we now because we know people and authors that we've not spoken to a lot of them directly, but we use them a lot for reference material for our last podcast on the left. Like people that have had one-on-one conversations with serial killers. Yes. And num- number one, how do you get into that situation? Yeah, is there like a Tinder for serial killers like called like... like, <laughs> like how do you get in there? And then two, like how do you... Something? Like what do you do like in the moment, especially with somebody? I mean, because you're a young woman, the idea of like someone who predominantly murders young yes. women, yes. you have to be around somebody like that. There wasn't a lot of planning that went into it. You know, I was in LA. Um, I was going to be there for a year doing TV and film stuff for some of my novels. And I said to my husband, you know what, Any anyone who's dangerous here that I befriend in prison, uh, you know, if they ever get out, they're not going to come to my doorstep in Australia. Like it's a long way. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to get there. That. Oh, I've always uh, heard that no criminals go to Australia. That's, <laughs> everyone knows that. <laughs> we have our yeah, we don't need, you know. uh, and uh, he was not he was not surprised at all that I wanted to go and speak to a serial killer. You know, we had our honeymoon in the U.S. and all up the east coast of the U.S., you know, he, we, we did a driving tour and he said, what do you want to do? I was like, there's so many body dumping sites and real life serial killer <laughs> sites. And it's real. I had man. him like traipsing through the jungle and I was like, this is where they found her body right here. was staring at a patch of dirt. And, and uh, so he, he, he said... <laughs> He said, you know what? I said, I'm, I'm going to go to San Quentin. I'm going to fly up there and I'm going to sit down with one of the most, well, the most horrible serial killer that I can think of. Oh. And he said, you have fun. You're going to love that. That's, um, oh, you yeah, know, you're going to, that's going to be great. Yeah, you're going to have that. What a blast. No, yeah. we, our co-producer, Marcus Parks, him and his lovely wife, when they went on a vacation, yeah. they went to go see all of the the touchstones of Jim Jones's life in Indiana. And yeah. I don't think of you normally, if you were vacationing no. um, from Australia to America, don't go to Indiana. No, because I, it sucks. I love, Margar- we love our listeners there, but it's not a fun state. Go to Margaritaville. Oh, my goodness. And again, why was it so disturbing to sit down with Lawrence Bittaker? Uh, We haven't even covered this dude, I don't think, fully. But the the toolbox killer, uh, he was convicted of killing five. He's an American serial killer rapist, and he has kidnapped and tortured 
multiple people again it was five teenage girls in southern california so i mean so, what uh, yeah how the hell was when you that, sit uh, in front of this guy when you sit ugh. in front of this guy like does it like do you think he's on his best behavior or is it yes. it's like a thing yeah like is it one of those where he's trying to be like ha huh, you know kids like is he trying to like blow it off like <laughs> i was expecting like your hannibal lecter type you know that right. would he would own it, you know, and he'd say, oh, I took them up there and I really enjoyed it and I had a fine wine and all this. But, uh, you know, I first of all, I didn't expect to be sitting in his presence with him uncuffed, you know, oh. in a in a two meter by two meter cage they put us in. Um, I thought it was going to be like a, you know, there'd be a window and a phone. And I get there and I, I, I said, who, you know, I'm Candace. I'm here to see Lawrence. Um, where do I sit? Which phone booth is mine? And the guard said, no, no, you'll be in that cage there. And I said, oh, okay, oh, where, where, where will he be? And, and the guard was like, <laughs> in there like you didn't realize and and I, and so I got in there and he came out and they uncuffed oh. him and they locked the door they put a padlock on it and the guards walked away and I thought okay so this is this is this is how I die and I thought this is strangely fitting for my career. This is going to make New York Times surely. <laughs> Wait, like talk about bo- yeah, boosting <laughs> book sales. Like, Seriously, incredible. Did, did the guards? Did they read the story of Hannibal Lecter? Talk about a Jodie Foster situation. I know, so- I know. We were ne- we, our knees were about a foot apart. It was two plastic chairs when, and we were just sitting there facing each other. Uh-huh. And I said, like, I was so nervous. I just started speaking and I said, I'm really surprised that this has happened, you know, with the, the shark cage and the bulletproof glass type situation. And he said, oh, oh yeah, um, well, I'm not going to do anything. If I tried to do anything, there's a sniper in the roof. There was like this cutout in the roof. And he said, he'll just shoot me. And I said, okay, I have some problems with that because he's going to have to shoot you through the cage, like through the bulletproof glass to get you. And I said, I'm not just going to be sitting here. Uh, you know, I thought I should say something tough, you know, because I've I've come all the way to meet this serial killer, you know, and I go in there and I'm so nervous. I'm like this, oh, um, and I said, if 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 you come at me, I'm gonna put you on the ground. Nice. <laughs> and then and he he gave this laugh like like women have tried to put me on the ground before and it hasn't it hasn't worked out for him. Uh, and it was just like an icy, icy laugh. Um, and and he said, yeah, yeah, he said, everything's going to be fine. Let's just talk. And we were in there for five hours. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so I just I asked him everything I could think of, you know, because I had written him a letter to, and I said to him, I am I really want to come and speak to you. First of all, I was like, I don't want to be your girlfriend. I imagine you get a lot of letters like that. And he came back and he said, yeah, I have four current girlfriends. Oh, wow. Uh, but I, you know, I'm always on the search for more. And I was saying, no, that's now, not. How does he, che- how does he cheat with them? Does he write one of their names on his right hand before he jerks off? And then he erases it and writes <laughs> another one. He's like, I'm so sorry. How do you even do know. that? I don't know. I don't, and I don't know what these women want with him either. But I said, it's, it's, it's none of that. How, how old was he? Yeah. 77. 
Shit. So he's an old man. He, he is big though, like big, a very tall, like I saw him in a documentary before I went there and I said to myself, oh, he's a little old man. Right. And then I went there and I was like, oh no, he's quite big and big arms and stuff. And, uh, and I thought, you know, this, I have never been in a fight for my life before, but this is like, I'm going to have to, my, my instincts just said, scratch him. It's just, if yeah. he comes out, scratch his face, but, but that's obviously <laughs> not, that's not what you should do. It's so interesting. I want to talk about how that experience has informed your books as well, or maybe made you reflect on your work. I know you also work closely with James Patterson, who is like, I think he has written every book. Every time I see something, when reading a book, I'm like, I just assume it's James Patterson's book. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. How was that? I was talking with Travis, our producer, before just about being in the presence of evil. Did yeah. you? Was it a palpable feeling? Um, are those things underrated well, or overrated? Last, like, yeah. Last podcast, we equate serial killers. Like, we try to demystify the idea of them being mm, evil. For the most yeah. part, I think that pe- serial killers, they well, they come from extreme mediocrity. Like, it comes yes. from somebody who's not a skilled at anything else in life. Right. Because so it's, they yeah. kind of, it's easy to kill people, uh, uh, unfortunately. Mm, mm, mm. He, yeah, he, he, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't, um, you know, intelligent and charismatic and anything like this. Basically, he just moaned to, to me the whole time about how he's a poor, misunderstood creature and it wasn't his fault. You know, his partner Roy talked him into it, and you know, he was crying at some point, like, oh. and. and and, and I was sitting there watching and going, is this real? Like, it's very genuine if it's real. And then he would do these little little things that would just drop the mask. Like, I said to him, what was your, what was your plan? Like, were you just going to keep killing women, like, until you were stopped? What was your plan? And right. he said, uh, oh, by the time I got to number five, what was her name? And I said, I said, Andrea. And he's like, whatever her name was. Uh, like this, oh, like yeah, and right, the, yeah. the flick of the hand, like whatever her name was. It's like, you know what? You've been sitting here for 38 years. Could you possibly memorize the five names? Like, what else do you have to do? <laughs> yeah. Just memorize oh, those man. five names, honestly. Like, you know, uh, and uh, and things like that. And then he would burst into tears. And um, he was just, a, he, the way he rationalized it was really fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, as a crime writer, because he said, you know, for 33 years of my life, um, oh, 32 or 33 years, I was a great guy, lots of friends, law abiding. And then there was this three month period where, you know, and he called it a phase. I went through this phase what? where I was murdering all of these women and doing these horrible things. And then, you know, 38 years since, uh, same thing again. I'm, I'm, I have lots of friends here in prison. I obey the rules. He said, so if you look at my life as a whole, uh, you know, I'm really not, I'm really not that bad of a person. And I said to him, have you ever heard the expression, um, you fuck one goat, you're a goat fucker. You know, it takes one. Right. That is what you will be known for is fucking that goat. Like you will be known as a serial killer. This is what you've done. Like it doesn't matter if you, you know, I was expecting him to have converted like born again Christian and all this stuff as, as you know, the serial killers often do. But right. I was just like, wow, wow. Mm. Last podcast on the left is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out 
and succeed online. Thanks, Squarespace. With Squarespace, it's easy to create a beautiful website all on your own terms. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. This ain't your mama's website platform. It is, actually. It's actually be very easy for your mother to learn. You don't want to miss Fluid Engine. It's a next-generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. I thought it was just the name of what my blood pressure medication turned me into. I'm, I'm peeing. Now, my goals for the year are I have two warehouses filled with horse picks. Now, I know a lot of people, uh, obviously this bit has been done, but the Zendaya centaur picks are not going anywhere. And I've been trying to get the Judge Reinhold sitting on the Clydesdale line out. Uh, I need these moved, okay? Because I have to move into the storage unit. Let's just say there are problems at home. So I need Squarespace to shoot this through the roof for me this year. And that's why I'm going to go full tilt and not only are you going to get the judge reinhold sitting on the clydesdale entire series clothes and non-clothes what we also are going to offer and i mean this we're trying to get into giraffe rides i brought this up the other day we got to start riding other animals but horses take pictures of the horses photoshop the horses into other celebrities but stop riding them save a horse ride a giraffe with Squarespace. Go head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com. And so when you're in there, what was your goal? Did you have a, um, cause obviously we do a lot of conversations with a lot of people and we just yeah. kind of chit chat and it's not nearly as intense as a confined five hour visit <laughs> with a serial killer where you're yeah. only going to get one chance. Did you have a goal in mind, uh, before going to speak with Miss Bitter, Mr. Bitteker? I'll be, I'll be nice enough to call him that. Or was it just like, let's see how this unfurls. I was I was I was happy for anything, um, but I was looking for a shred of humanity because um, all I do is you know by that time I had written twelve novels and I so I'd written about tw- at least twelve killers and I'd never met one before. So I, I think that the creepiest moments when you're Jeez. dealing with the villain in crime fiction is when you can relate. So I was looking yeah. for something to relate to, um, but we just clashed on a bunch of stuff. But is that more comfortable than if you guys both found out you were huge Detroit Lions fans? Yeah, you're just like laughing and, you're just and like, shit. Turns out we're best friends. Like it's almost better that you clashed a little bit. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were both sitting there, like across the five hours. I had to go to the bathroom, so they, there's this big process where they chain him back up, and I get out and all this, and they lock it back up. And I, I said, "Do you want anything from?" the vending machine you know at the same time thinking to myself should i really be is that morally correct to buy him i said one thing from and he said yeah get me some chips ahoy and uh and i i did and i got some like ruffle chips uh i was just eating these ruffle chips every day they were so good and i'm sitting there and i had kind of relaxed by that time a little bit you know just i'm thinking to myself it's been an hour i'm not dead yet so i'm now and i'm eating my chips and he's eating his chips ahoy. And I said, these are the best chips in America. And he said, they're good, aren't they? They're really good. And I, I was like, I'm sitting here eating chips with Lawrence Bittaker. What is going on? That's wild. One of our bigger arguments that we had, I, I rescue animals whenever I can. I, I All animals, any animals. And um, uh, 
my husband and I, we were living in the Hollywood Hills and we were walking part, you know, going for a walk and we saw this little creature in this driveway just sitting there like, oh, man, I guess I'll die now. Like it was sort of sick and I didn't know what it was. So I I took it home, I put it in my hat and we looked it up and it was a a gopher, a tiny little gopher. Yeah. (laughs) And I was telling Lawrence about it and saying, oh, I took it home and it was sick and I nursed it back to health and I gave it to a refuge and all this. And he was like, why did you do that? And I said, well, he said, don't you know that Calvin in parasites and there's 900 types of parasites in, in America? And I was like, well, why did you kill all those women? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> we both were like, I, I said, he said to me, I don't understand you. I said, I don't understand you. Yeah. <laughs> That's good, I said, though. I was there. It needed me. It was sitting there. It needed someone. I was walking past. I was there. And he's like, yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> you know, he was like, you're a so freak. So he was just, he was disgusted <laughs> yeah, yeah, with weird. you. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah, you, you raped and killed five women. So <laughs> with, with these guys, I we're always like, unless podcast, I am obsessed about the serial killer's time in jail because it seems that's when they mm-hmm. set their narrative. Right. Yes. They, that's when we find out anything about like, you know, unfortunately, like, or we don't like how Samuel Little, the newest, Ugh. most prolific serial killer of all time, like he wasn't saying he's not saying shit. He doesn't want anybody mm-hmm. to know mm-hmm. anything. He's taking it all to the grave as far as he's concerned. And Dennis, Dennis Raider as well. BCK. Oh, yes. He, he won't speak to people. He, no, not. you have to follow. The, I guess you have to go through procedure with him. Like you have to fill mm-hmm. out an application to speak with him and he right. can go fuck himself. But Mike, mm-hmm. when he, when these guys are like in this type of jail, like they're all kind of being like, there's something with the way you said about the idea that like, there's like a big fuss Right. Like, so anytime you wanted to leave, they have to come chain up, chain them up. Mm. Like, do you think that they kind of get off on that, too? Where like now they are this predator that they Mm -hmm. that must be like. And do you did did he wield that? Like, do you feel like that he knows like how they say like famous people know that like they're famous. So they have to they have to like be like, hi, I'm Bobby when they're Robert De Niro, you know, and you have to go like, hi, hello, Bobby. Like, is it that kind of shit? I, you know what I think would be the biggest ego boost to him in there at the time? He had this murderabilia broker who would come and collect things from him like, oh, what have you got? you know, what have you got this month? Oh, I've got some fingernail clippings. I've got some hair. He was selling locks of his hair through this, this guy uh, on the internet for $50 a lock. Um, and, and, and stuff like that. He said, I'll smuggle out whatever I can. Like he had an asthma puffer and that would go for 15 bucks, you know, and, and people oh, and that just it. goes into his account that like just goes into yeah, his yeah, it's commissary. And, and, uh, right. so he could buy, like, he really liked red velvet cupcakes. So he could buy those from commissary. Um, so it's, it's, it's things like that that make, will probably make him think, you know, I'm almost supernatural. People want pieces right. of my body and, yeah. and stuff. And I, for me, it's just seemed like a miserable, miserable existence. Um, his, his cell, he, he went like this. He made like a bow and arrow shape. And he said, from my elbow to my hand, that's how wide my cell is. And right. it's 11 foot long. And at the front is just mesh, like steel mesh. You can't see through it because one of the other inmates lured, they used to have bars and he lured a guard over and speared him in the chest with a a bit of wood. So they just put mesh. 
So you used to be able to see out and now, and now you're just in a box and it's 23 hours a day. And he, yeah, he, he was getting really depressed. He said he was being treated for depression. And oh, no, um, I would assume. And again, we are speaking, we are speaking with Candace Fox, an unbelievable author. She mentioned how many books she already has. And just to clarify uh, her first book, she won the Ned Kelly award for the best first novel that was for Hades. That was in 2014. Um, so I'm just going to how do you have hands after writing that many books in It is unbelievable how how much work you have done. So um, when it comes to speaking with someone like that monster, uh, not even to say his name anymore, how did how has that informed your writing and and sort of knowing the true crime world in a real sense? But then obviously you write fiction, um, mm. but these things I think are often you know the truth is often stranger than fiction. Yeah, it's for me. I'm working on my sixteenth novel now, oh um, and it's it's you get faster. Can I ask faster. how long does how long does it take to to write a novel? Uh, Just well, so we know, can shame our partner. <laughs> yeah, the fastest I've ever done it. I did three in a year. That was the year oh before I had geez. my baby. I have a daughter, Violet. She's uh, she's almost two. And oh my gosh! Violet, can I just say I love? I want to share this with you. Yesterday she had a pencil and uh, she went up to her dad and she went stab stab stab. <laughs> oh <laughs> yay! <laughs> the word, stab. <laughs> She has a hundred words, about a hundred words, I reckon. And in there are murder, bullet, and stab. And I didn't do it. I did not teach her those. You are raising a true crime author. Good work. I know. She was running around at Christmas going, murder, murder, murder. Oh, that's my child. But anyway, I'm so sorry to to sidetrack it once again. But yeah, how does does the true information inform the fictional writing? Look, um, it's 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 those little details. It's like the flick of the hand, you know, that you see and you think that is just so perfect. I'm going to take yeah. that. Or just rationalising rationalizing what he has done and sort of saying, well, it's a quantity versus quality thing, you know, unless you've spoken to someone like that. You can't you can't think to yourself how how would I live with what I have done or how does a psychopathic mind work um, right. and and I just felt like as a writer you need if you're writing about cops you should speak to some cops if right. you're writing about killers you should speak to some killers you know you should speak to some people who had a family member murdered and you get those little details uh, that are just real and and from your first book in 2014 to where we are today. Day. Have you evolved? Have you changed in your philosophy and your thinking as to what triggers a serial killer? Why do they kill this, that, and the other thing? I think uh, I think there are two types of killers. There are people who make mistakes, uh, and then you know, then and then they kill their wife or something, or they just snap. And you hear that all the time. And then sure. there are people who have his like his brain doesn't work properly. Uh, there there is something going on there. He just doesn't think of people as people. Hmm. Speaking to him, it's like if I said to you, yeah, I was talking to him about his other. Victims, like um, because clearly five women in a three-month period, and they were very well-developed murders. Like he didn't ramp up. I, I said to him, he, he, re- he remembers people. each one. He remembers. I know that you must replay that in yeah, his head yeah, yeah, yeah. to this day. 
Yeah, and, and and I said to him, oh, you know, there was this girl who went missing, and in 1968, and it's like I said to him, in 1968, you killed a mosquito, uh, and and, right. and I think that I think that you did that because I know that you were in the same area as the mosquito, and the mosquito's family is really upset, and 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 it, it had dreams. He's like, it's a mosquito, really? Are we still talking about this? You know, he he was like that. He was like, it's almost 40 years later. We all need to get over it. And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) he's like, I do so many other things in here. I write books and I talk to people. And he's like, it's like he didn't understand the big deal. Um, and hey, genuinely, like that's not acting that he genuinely doesn't understand. Was that that a surprise to you? Was that something that was a, was a bit of a shock? Yeah. I think I expected him at least to get the magnitude. Like, and I, right. I was trying to explain it to him, and I'm saying it's not only the girls that you killed, but it's their family, and then right. it's the cops. So one of the cops committed suicide. Oh. It mentioned mentioned the case in the suicide letter, and it's everyone who went to the trial, and blah blah blah, and all this. And he's like, yeah, yeah. It was either if he was to fully deal with it. I don't, I do maybe he can't, maybe there's just like, yeah. there is a, there's a block where there's just absolutely no way for him to fully absorb yeah. what happened and the influence that it had. Cause I think that's what it is. It seems to be what that is, what's triggering and he doesn't, and he won't and deal with is the influence mm. Mm. of mm. his actions. Yeah. It's, it's also the fact that I think that sitting there with him for five hours, I think every 10 seconds, he is just drawn all the way back to himself. Like in the bulletproof right. glass, I could see he was doing his hair the whole time yeah. and looking over my right. shoulder at his own reflection. And he made like a pass, a kind of an attempted pass at me. Um, he said, what does your husband do? I said, he's a journalist. And he said, oh, is that why the diamond on your engagement ring is so small? Oh my <laughs> goodness! Like, well, oh, you know I what? That's I'm gonna tell you them guys- they. I'm gonna tell you they grab. I'm gonna tell the guards they. You try to touch me, and they're gonna beat the fucking shit out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the first things he said, he when I walked in, he said, "We, um, you know, blah blah blah." Uh, he said, "We can touch each other if you want." And he put his hand out to shake my hand, and I was like, "Oh, do I shake his hand or not? I don't want to get killed. Like I'm, I'm 30 seconds in, and so I shook right. his hand, and it was, it was ice cold. And I thought, oh, that's so cliche. <laughs> it's, it's so yeah. Ice cold. Although and, I'll tell you one thing, you got to use that as leverage on your husband to get you a bigger ruck. Because I mean, that, you got to let us. him know. Because um, <laughs> are you aware of I, one question? Are you aware of the family murders in Australia? Yes, I am. I think that is very, very interesting. I, I don't know if you know any other sources or anything else can go into it because the family murders, we start, we started learning about it in Australia, Kissel, because I'd never heard of it in the mm-hmm. States. And when we mm-hmm. went over there, like the idea that like essentially it's like a group of cops were killing yeah. people and allowing cops, yeah. like in, uh, it's like, it's a level of, it's like one of those massive, like Franklin cover up style, mm. like Who's murder that? sequences. He- that kid that went missing, Jay, Jamie Gosh or something. I think that uh, sounds correct. Yes. And he went missing and then the mum said he turned up like 20 years later and said, I I can't come home. Was it Jamie Gosh? Oh, no, it's he- um, it's who took it's what's the name? It's who took Johnny. I believe it's Johnny, Johnny Gosh. Johnny Gosh. Yeah. It's Johnny yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
It's it's in that case is crazy. Um, like the all of the the little clues and yeah. things that got covered up and phone calls deleted and all, and all of this. Yeah, it's there's, really there's, weird. Do you look? Do you look for um, specific cases as inspiration for books, or do you just kind of like pepper around and sort of what what kind of um, I guess lead up or what kind of what, what where does inspiration strike for a for a true crime fictional character or uh, writer? Usually I think to myself, why am I so disturbed by this? Because I am very difficult to disturb. Um, I grew up in a really weird household. My mum had four kids and then she adopted two and then she fostered 155 kids as I was growing up. Yeah. And so we were hearing all of those crazy, disturbing stories of oh, what yeah. happened to these kids when I, I'm only very young. And my dad worked in a prison as well. So he would come home and say, oh, you know, we were going to release this inmate today, but he didn't want to go. So he slit his throat with the lid of a tuna can. Oh, and my. He, and then that was a lot of paperwork. And I'm, I'm like sitting there. <laughs> absorbing, absorbing. <laughs> What does that even mean? Yeah. Um, and so I think to myself, why, if I start Googling and following and Wikipedia diving, I'm thinking to myself, why am I obsessed with this? What is the theme? Like at the moment yeah. for me, I'm obsessed with con men. And, yes. and and how do you sleep next to someone every night that you're basically thinking, I'm going to take all of her money possibly kill her oh. and move on how do you how do you lie there next to them at night sleeping um so that's that's, that's fascinating and then i get i get over it and then I, I i i go on to the next the next thing i'm i'm very interested in mass shooters yes. and so i well, did a Stephen paddock deep dive really that that's mm, fascinating yeah. what were some because we want to cover Stephen paddock as well but it's tough to find a a, a real I, I think narrative this but, is a little bit of drop. The one that I'm trying to get us to do vaguely soon is Anders Breivik. Which oh, yes. One. Did you read the book? The big, thick uh, one of us? I have it. It sits. Oh, it's God. sitting it, it in the sits. pile. It let, sits. Me, let me ruin a little bit of it yes, for you. Yes, please. One detail about Anders Breivik that I think is just so fascinating is when he was making the bombs, um, he had to use this type of fertilizer, but he had to blend it in a, like a, a blender, like a smoothie blender to make it the right consistency for the okay. bomb. And he used so much of it that he bought like 10 blenders and he was blending, blending, blending. And then the blenders broke. So he bought new blenders and he's there every day, eight hours a day, blending this fertilizer. And I just think the amount of time and effort and. What a fucking loser. I can't go out tonight. I'm blending my fertilizer again. (laughs) All right. For the next part of this interview, Henry had to leave. So it'll just be Candace Fox and Ben Kissel. Once again, Miss Fox sits down with a sociopath. So Candace, yeah, what are some of the similarities between or some of the differences between somebody who would go into mass shooting and Mm. someone who would be a serial killer? Because obviously the... The final situation is the same mass death, but the way it happens is much different. We mentioned Stephen Paddock. I find that that particular case to be really, really different in terms of spree killers and and shooters because 
it's always so up close and personal. And you think about uh, Eric Harrison, Dylan Klebold, oh. the Columbine shooters, and in their preparation, they were saying, I'm going to be face to face. I'm going to blow their heads off. I'm going to see this person. I'm going to say this. And it's very personal and hand to hand. And Stephen Paddock is like up in a tower, is shooting into the dark, and he doesn't even know who he's hitting or if he's hitting anyone. Or you know, it it was really impersonal. Why? And and he had even planned. He had planned to hit a different concert a couple of weeks earlier, I believe. And he had everything set up. He had everything in the in the hotel room, and then he didn't do it. And we don't know why. So it's like you didn't even target a particular concert and right. there's no no manifesto no reasoning behind it do you think that requires more sociopathy or less to just be able to shoot into the darkness know you're causing mayhem but not even seeing what you're doing like what is even crazier i think it's scarier the idea of a you know ever since the dc sniper uh yeah. here in the states and obviously we have guns and uh, gun violence in a way that is extremely unique to america and the idea of just being sniped randomly is so freaking scary. Yes, because you go around in life sort of thinking to yourself, well, if I just do the right thing and I'm nice to everyone, uh, maybe that won't happen to me. Uh, you know, and you, you tell your kids, if you know, don't bully people uh, because this this and that has happened. And, and I don't know, it's just no one is safe because – even if you got in a situation with him, you couldn't talk your way out of it because he's like, anyone right. can do, I'll shoot anyone. Yeah, so that is exactly. a lot scarier. That is a lot scarier. Yeah. Um, and it's just, what is it, numbers? He wants big numbers. He just doesn't care. But then he didn't even see, I don't even want to say it, but he didn't see the, the fruits of his labor yeah. in a Stephen Paddock sense. He just took his own life. Oh, man. That is a whole nother thing. You'll have to come back and talk about yeah. you know, that. I find that really and fascinating. It, and uh, again, we're speaking with Candace Fox. Is that something you would like to focus on uh, in the future? Because it's tough to write a true crime story, I would assume, about a spree or about a um, a, a spree sniper, mm. I guess, mm. Um, mm. because it, it's tough to find that narrative with a killer. You have a sexual motivation. Mm. You have a series of different things. But with a with a mass shooter, it's maybe a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I went into it in one of my novels with James. Um, so a diary is found, like a planning diary, and yeah. they, you know the police are like, okay, so someone in this tiny weeny town in the middle of the Australian outback is planning to kill everyone. Can we find them before you know before they do it? Um, so I went into it a little bit, but the thing about mass shootings is you don't. Have have to wait that long until there's another one not only just right. sort of in america but but they they're they're something that i don't think has been treated properly so yeah. they're going to keep going and uh, yeah, it's it's. What about the copycat effect? Yeah, because you know, I I was uh, I graduated high school in two thousand, so four twenty nineteen ninety nine. I was a junior in high school, and it changed everything. Four twenty one when we all back, went back to school, it was. It's just different, you know, security was much tighter. A lot of my friends got expelled because we like to have fun. We weren't violent, but we were goofballs. Mm. And that was uh, taken much more seriously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then from 1999, it just seems like, whoa, every <laughs> yeah. five, like, what, is there anything in your mind, like, uh, how did that start as a society where 
mass shooting just became so common mm. where it's almost passe, which is so sad to say. It's, yeah, a, a lot of um, people who have referred to Columbine in their shootings, you know, in their manifestos or whatever, have talked about like the glory and revenge aspect. And certainly right. Dylan and Eric are held up as these sort of heroes by that time, that type of person. And I think there are attempts to... Uh, counteract that because the parkland some of the victims of the parkland or the survivors they were trying to get a movement up where they had like a card you could put in your wallet and it says if I'm killed in a mass shooting please publicize pictures of my body on the internet so that so that Mm. to counteract all that glory and and war going to war and it's all beautiful and this kind of thing with with a picture of a body like this is what you're talking about this is actually this is the reality of that Um, uh, and of course the media dropped the ball so horribly starting with Dylan and Eric talking about how they were were bullied and they took revenge when in reality yeah. they were the bullies yes. doing what they did yes. in a more extreme way. Yeah. And, the, and just uh, the fascination yeah. going in and, and you can, I mean, you can read uh, their diaries online. You can see photographs. You can talk to their friends. There are so many books about it, trying to pick it apart as a phenomenon. How did this actually happen? Uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a puzzle. I think writers love puzzles uh, because yeah. what you do for 90,000 words as an author is you you, you you give someone a puzzle and you say, okay, I'm not going to solve it for you and, you know, for this amount of time. <laughs> so, That's awesome. Uh, a mass shooting is just a puzzle and you sit there and you go, how can I, how can I solve this? How can I stop this happening? And that, that's what I was, the same thing I was doing with Lawrence is I was saying, what happened to you and how could we right. fix someone like you and so that, yeah. so that it doesn't happen again? But he had just no insight to offer, really, um, in that. He's just a sad, sad, pathetic, really pathetic old man. That's sad. So as far as finding those answers, and again, thank you so much for being here, Candace Fox. And my last question in a second will be, how did you meet James Patterson? <laughs> um, yeah, sure. But, um, but that is that... Is, that's the reward. Is that one of your goals to to solve? Why do you become Andrews Brevik? Why do you become, um, you know, somebody like Hillside Strangler, whatever it is? Mm. It, and have, it, the more you research, have have the questions become more and the answers become less, or have you actually found some answers that you can maybe? Used to to deter one of these acts of violence. I think the questions have become more, uh, which is great for me as a writer because that's what I'm posing. I'm trying to make people think. The worst thing that you can do is write a book and everything's all nicely sewn up at the end because right. the reader doesn't think about it anymore. But if you leave them just like a little like door open, uh, just a crack, they'll they'll talk about it, you know, and they'll think about it, and they'll they'll turn it over in their own minds. Um, I, I I just try to do that. I try to get the reader arguing about who is the best person in this novel and who is the worst person. And I find right. that interestingly, a lot of people will write to me and and say, "Ah, oh, this is my favorite character," and I think he has the highest body count. Like he <laughs> <laughs> he has been killing his whole life. He's the worst right. person in this book. And then and then the, the, they're the ones I love the most. They're the ones that are most interesting. Um, you so know, funny. there are very few three and a half million follower podcasts about like really great, heroic, awesome people because there's no mystery there. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of great heroic people, of course, yourself, Candace Fox, and then, of course, James Patterson. Yeah. How did you meet Mr. Patterson? Because everyone, I mean, he is... He's a big time name. Yeah, he is. He is such a cool guy. He is so funny. And he's like an uncle. Like I call his house. It's like calling my uncle. He's like, you again. <laughs> what do you want? Um, uh, but so he, I was always a huge fan of his. And I would yeah. creep into my mom's room and read his stuff very, very young. And um, when I heard he was coming to Australia, I got an invite. You know, I was recently pu- published for the first time. I got an invite to his party and he was going to be there and I saw him and I thought this is my moment to go over there and say hello you know I just wanted like a celebrity moment I wanted to go over there oh my god I love you um and I just went over and I said uh oh my god James I love your book so much I read kiss the girls when I was 12 and it just totally changed my life and he he said wow, that's really inappropriate. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you doing reading Kiss the Girls when you're 12 years old? Oh, my God. Uh, and I I just ch- chatted to him and then I sort of ran away. And I had said to my publisher, you know, because I'm very ambitious and that's why I write yeah. so fast and so much. And, and I said to my publisher, how – how does a person get to collaborate with him? And she said, don't even think about it. Like we have a list of people and you only just got here on the crime writing scene. And I I sort of gave up. And then she saw me talking to him at the party and she said, wow, they get on well. And so she gave him a copy of my first one to take home and he read it on the plane and this was Hades. Yeah. 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 He, and he loved it. And he, he called up and he said, how, you know, how would she go writing with me? Does she want to write with me? Like he asked, does she? Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't know. I'll, I'll check my calendar. I'll see what I'm doing. <laughs> you know. So. I'll, I'll pencil you in, Mr. Patterson. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 Oh, He's that is awesome. He's, he, yeah. And I had dinner with him and Bill Clinton in San Jose. The same day that I met Lawrence. I, I, cause I was going up there to have dinner with Jim and he said, Oh, Bill Clinton will come to dinner. And I said, Oh, to my husband, Oh, I can see Lawrence in the morning and then see them in the evening. How was hanging out with Bill Clinton? Did you get some good, uh, did you get some good insight into sociopaths? <laughs> I, I, you know, I found him to be really nice. The, the most entertaining thing about him was his secret service guys because they were just like all the time like hovering around us and giving us the evil eye and and bill clinton said um what's happening in your next book because he reads my books and he said what are they going to figure out the thing with the brother from the last book and i said i can't tell you that like it's a spoiler i'm not gonna tell you and he was like come on you just tell me that's a major crime and i was like i'm not i'm not telling you and i look over and the secret service guys are like (laughs) just yeah, oh, my. You know, you know. Um, so, yeah. Well, that's crazy. And of course, Clinton, when it comes to his name and uh, being in webs of, of uh, crime stories, <laughs> he certainly comes yeah. up quite a bit yeah, in sure uh, political th- thrillers and things like that. Mm-hmm. Candace Fox, author extraordinaire. Check out all of her books. Her latest book being Gone by Midnight. Thank you so much, Candice. You are wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. I'm just so chuffed to have been on your show. I love it so much. This is a highlight for me, career highlight. Live from your grave. All right, there it was, our conversation with Candace Fox. Check out all of her books. She is a freaking badass. 
awesome. So thank you so much, Candace Fox, for being on the show. And thank you all so much for supporting us. Again, without you, we're nothing. And uh, don't forget the stream. It's every Tuesday now on Patreon exclusive before it goes to YouTube and they gut all the good content for because they have weird terms of services. Okay, everyone. Thanks for listening. Hang in there. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon.